Welcome to HBCU 468, brought to you by ESPN's The Undefeated. This weekly podcast looks at life inside and outside of sports from the unique perspective of the Roden Fellows, handpicked students from six historically black colleges and universities. They're young, they're smart, and they are living one of the most unique experiences in American higher education. I'm Bill Roden, and here are this week's Roden Fellows. I'm Isaiah Smalls, and I attend Morehouse College in Atlanta. I'm Donovan Dooley, and I attend North Carolina A&T in Greensboro, North Carolina. And I'm Simone Benson. I go to Morgan State University in Baltimore, Maryland. And we're all here in New York City. By the time you by by the time you hear this podcast, um, we're going to be probably picking up the pieces of the Cleveland Cavaliers' destroyed dreams, <laughs> <laughs> unless there's some kind of uh, uh, miracle. But to kind of have us put all this in perspective. I'm really uh, honored and pleased uh, to have our, our guest, uh, Marcus Thompson II. He's um, really a, 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 just an outstanding reporter, great writer. He's a columnist for the Mercury News and the Bay Area News Group in Northern California. More importantly, he's also the author of Golden, The Miraculous Rise of Steph Curry. Hey, Marcus, welcome to the show. Thank you, and I'm also... Clark Atlanta University. Yeah, to see you. That's right. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, Isaiah was talking a little trash before about your rivalry. I said, "Listen, man, we don't want the brother to leave before we get started." <laughs> so, you know, just just be polite. Just a little. Hey, bit. you know, just that's how bit. it is. When you're the inferior school, you need to talk trash. <laughs> <Wow. laughs> wow. He said. He wow. said. He said. Does Clark even? Did he, I didn't know they still had a program. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, hey, good. <laughs> hey, the reason I said that, that there was a guy who played at Grambling, and I played at Morgan, and every time he sees me, he says, yeah, man, y'all still have a program? <laughs> <laughs> hey, 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 Marcus, listen, man, uh, you, you've uh, been covering uh, these finals, and we'll get into this later. You've been covering Golsey for a long time, but I'm just curious, man, what, what's your take on the um, uh, on, on the, the finals as far as just, uh, just Golden State's performance, but particularly these finals? I'm actually a little disappointed. I mean, for me, Cleveland's going out kind of weak. I expected, I mean, at least show some fight. They're, they're putting up about as much fight as Portland or Utah did. Man. I just expect more from them. Uh, it just, it for, it's just weird to see a team that, I mean, last year they did everything right for three games. I mean, they were locked in defensively. They executed. I mean, they are now champions. And now, like, every fourth quarter, they just fall apart. Like, they haven't been here before. So, it's a little weird. I know some of it, a lot of it is the Warriors are just so good and they're so much better. But it would just it would just be less disappointing if these were, like, if all the games were, like, game three, it would be all right. But the first two, they didn't put up a fight, and then they just choke away game three. It's like, come on, you guys are champions, man. You're supposed to supposed to respond better than this. So what's the difference? I mean, you, you covered, what's, what's the difference between last year and this year? Hunger, you know, uh, they, they, they have, they don't, they don't seem to have that same like desire. Like last year, it was like J.R. Smith was playing defense. Like his life was on the line. Kyrie was doing everything. I mean, they just wanted it. You could just tell. Uh, and now that's the Warriors that seems to want it and the Cavs are doing like stuff that that's a team that maybe got a little too comfortable or, or hasn't really been challenged. Uh, they, they just aren't playing with that same fire 
defensively, and they just don't seem to be as cohesive. Uh, game on the line, right? And you're talking about champion. Kyrie has been praised all year as such a clutch player. Game on the line, you're coming down court, you got the chance for a two-for-one, and he opts to dribble out the clock to get one shot and then take a step back three. Mm. Like, that's yeah. old Kyrie. Yeah. Yeah. I was looking for the new Kyrie, the one who grew up <laughs> last year in championship, but – like they it just they they just don't have it and it's just disappointing. Hi Marcus, this is Isaiah from Warehouse. Just getting into your book a little bit. Uh you write that there are three Curries, the business, the player, and the family man. You also say that uh Curry's locker room presence was pivotal in uh, attracting Katie to Oakland. Do you think Steph is setting a new standard for how an NBA star should conduct himself? I don't know if it'll be a new standard. I just I just think he went about it in such a different way. Uh, I think people will have to pay attention to how much it works. Uh, we have this we have this idea of how superstars are supposed to operate, and we saw this all play out with KD, right? When he makes the decision to go to the Warriors, every, the whole the whole mantra across the nation was superstars don't do that, right? Superstars don't behave this way, and you're supposed to be this domineering figure full of machismo and ready to take on anybody and taking like the most gangster shots, right? Like that, <laughs> that's what superstars are supposed to do. LeBron's getting ripped for making the right play. Right. So I think what Steph has done oddly has not taken that approach, has been humble and a guy who always listens to his coach, a guy who swallowed slights and not let it affect his team, who's, like, kind of built this roster and this camaraderie through, like, chemistry and brother and stuff like that and not been the guy who's, like, out here demanding and here's how it should be, and it's worked. And people are looking at it and saying, you know what, that's pretty nice. And I think I think one of the things that we kind of miss with these players, they're so young when they get into the league, and it's a lot of money thrown at them. And after a while, you hit that point where you're like 28. Y'all going to feel it, right? You're going to be like 28 or 29, 30. And, you know, you, you've done your fun. You've played around. You did your college thing. And at some point, you're like, all right, life becomes more than this. And you start wanting more. And you start valuing things that are different. I think guys like Andre Iguodala, uh, who was in Philly and was supposed to be the star to place Iverson, and it didn't work out. And he goes to Denver to be a star, and it didn't work out. You start valuing other things. Like, I want to go to a place where I'm happy. You know, I want to go to a place where people play the game the right way. Where You know, and I think they're seeing that, and they're seeing the vibe like the Warriors have, and they like it. And that, that starts with Steph. And conversely, the other side, you start seeing, you know, you see stars clashing and stars beefing. Like when Dwight Howard was, uh, was with the Lakers and they were trying to recruit him. And then they turn around to White and then Kobe get on the phone with Dwight Howard, like, Yeah, we want you back, but just so you know, right, this is my team. <laughs> and you know what I'm saying? Like we Curry sending these encouraging texts about I don't care who shoes sells the more, I don't care who gets the MVP, come over here and watch you just win. And but it's so anti superstar. I don't know if everybody can do that or if others will do that. I think some of them look at it like that's weak, but I think over the long haul and when his story is completed, like we're going to talk about this. Like how at some point we're going to have to say, how did the Warriors become this juggernaut? And at some point we're going to have to answer, these guys kept coming to the Warriors 
and why. And part of it is because of how Steph operates as a superstar. Mr. Thompson, uh, my name is Don Dooley from North Carolina A&T. I kind of want to piggyback off what you said there. You know, there are many Curry fans, but there are also many Curry haters as well. You know, coming from his rise to fame all of a sudden, maybe even being light-skinned, his dad was an NBA baller. Do you think people prefer the come-up story over a story like Steph's? I, I, think, I think they do, and I think the difference is they don't see Steph's story as a come-up story. Uh, but in reality, it actually is. I had one player tell me, uh, and I was trying to get him to approve me putting it in the book, but he was like, nah. But uh, he was like, man, really, Steph's, Steph's role was more gangster than most of these guys. Oh, wow. Because, wow. I mean, when you Can think you about it, now? like. Oh, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> all, all of these dudes are like, like to get, when you get to Steph's level, usually we know who you are when you're 15 years old. Like, you you know, your your high school games are on TV, you know, cover of magazines. Here's the next guy, especially over, like, the last 20 years. We knew Kobe in high school. We knew LeBron. All these dudes. James Harden was a prodigy in L.A. We, we know these dudes, like, early. And some of that, you know, you start getting a little entitlement thing, right? You, you know, you get, you get uh, these D1 schools offering you, you know, cash under the table. It creates a little bit of entitlement and, you know, it creates kind of the superstar demeanor. You know, some of these dudes are like demanding what they want because they have been always getting what they want. And like Steph got none of that. And that's part of why he doesn't demand it now. Uh, He just, it was never his story. So he kind of had to prove himself the whole time while some other dude who could jump out the gym, you kind of already imputed that to him that he's going to be good. So let me start, you know, I got agents throwing money at you because, like, that dude's going to be good. Let me cater to him now. Like, Steph never had that road. So, uh, Marcus, speaking of entitlement, I have a LeVar, LeVar Ball question for you. Uh, Here we go. <laughs> so, LeVar recently uh, commented that children of uh, sports stars rarely surpass their parents. So what do you think about that? Uh, I mean, like, I think we we need to, like, parse, like, what sports and stuff. Yeah. Well, let's, let's speak, there's speak so of, many examples. Let's speak of NBA of because true. we talk uh, – speak of what you're saying is not being true. So, Steph Curry's um, career has reached heights far above his father, Del Curry. So, you know, how do you think their relationship is as well? You know, just kind of picking back I think, off you know, that. the words got two of those guys. Clay Thompson, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, he, yeah, his, his dad, true. Clay might end up in the Hall of Fame, mm, yeah. <laughs> like off this, mm. you know, uh, I, look, I think there's a few factors at play that you just can't say, it. you can't say it blanketly because there are factors that just have to play out. But at the same token, what he's trying to say is, you know, you might get deterred by the expectation. You might get deterred by you know, having to live up to your father's name. There's something there to that. But you know what there also is? Elite access, right? You get access to training. Uh, like, guys like Steph and Clay grew up in gyms. Right? They didn't grow up playing at, like, the Project Blacktop, like, getting bad form because the ball is shady. You know, uh, they, they've been – they've had access to stuff. Steph was 12 years old having shooting contests with Mark Jackson after Raptors practice. You know, and if it ain't even just about hoop, 
there's a reason that these guys kind of know how to handle all this stuff. They, they've watched it play out before. So there are some advantages to having a, you know, uh, some affluence to you as you right, came right. up. Old, old money that, versus that's new why money. Is back. So, yeah, right. That's why shooting is back. Mm. Shooting is not like, you know, one of the reasons shooting was like you see a guy in college and he comes out and it's like, oh, he can't shoot. He got to learn how to shoot. You're not learning shooting playing back blacktop in AAU, right? <laughs> like that's shooting is like the country club element of basketball because, you know, it takes ridiculous amounts of practice and training and technique. And that stuff is not always accessible to people who are under-resourced. So now you're seeing people with resources and access. Now you can work on shooting because if it's dark outside, where are you shooting? Yeah, <laughs> and sure. is that even helping you if you're shooting in the dark? Does this mean, well, who's got uh, access to a 24-hour gym? Hey, Marcus, so this does mean, is this beginning of the end of the, the disappearance of the black basketball player in the NBA? And, uh, I mean, because, you know, anytime you put, anytime you start putting a price tag on things, usually black folks disappear, whether it's golf, tennis, those kind of things. Baseball. Yeah, baseball. You know, now if you're going to start slapping a price tag on basketball, do you think that this could be, they could kind of be like black jockeys and what you thought would never disappear in 30 years, they're like in a museum? I think they're, I, I think at the very least, it's going to be reflective of how well blacks do financially in this country. And I think part of it is because, you know, black wealth is at an all-time high, There, there is more people who can, you know, can, like, compete in that area. Whereas in, like, 79, you couldn't play baseball, right? We just got more black people with money now. So if from that sense, we might be able to uh, keep going. I think it also uh, – here's what I think it does, especially socially and in the short term. It, it it makes basketball much less an inner-city hood, impoverished sport. Like, it, it makes it much less about – that element, uh, like like suburban kids will be in the NBA. Like because like ten years ago, it, it was like Iverson. You never gave me nothing. Cornrows, and you might have a couple, you know, white guys. Now it's like, yeah, I got two parents, and we ain't poor, but I can ball. And that that wasn't the element ten years ago. But now those dudes can they they can play, and some of them are from these affluent. Uh, Black families, too. Mm. So, uh, Marcus, earlier I mentioned the name LeVar Ball, and I heard you <laughs> say this, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Go. So what do you think of LeVar Ball? Uh, I, I, I go in and out with LeVar, right? You know, partly because I'm from the hood, and crazy parents is just not a big deal. Like, every, you know, <laughs> like you just know it, right? Some mamas is crazy, some daddies is crazy. Like, that's how it is. And we all just kind of function. I mean, many of us grew up like was raised by our grandmother anyway. <laughs> so you see LeVar, you're like, yeah, that's a, all right. All right. I know that. I've seen that dude before. But uh, I, I I began initially like, man, hold on, y'all. Because uh, people are critiquing like how he's parented and all. And like there's a lot of judgment about how he operates. And I'm like, you can't kill us for not raising our kids and then kill a dude that's present on how he's doing it. Like, like, chill off on being parental judges, right? <laughs> so, that that was my initial kick. Like, like he's let that let that man raise his kids uh, without your input. But then, he, you know, he just man, <laughs> he 
and then he starts saying some stuff where you're like, all right, dude, I had your back. But yeah, <laughs> my problem is, then he getting on how LeBron raised his kids. I'm like, yeah. I'm trying to get your back. Get your back You know, you brought up Clay Thompson. Uh, do you see him as a flight risk following a decrease of overall production this postseason and in the regular season? Not, not because of that. I think he's a flight risk because somebody's going to offer him thirty-five million dollars, <laughs> and I don't know if the Warriors want to pay that. At some point, they just can't pay everybody thirty million dollars, right? Steph's going to get thirty. KD's about to get thirty, and then in two years, Clay's turns come up. So, what happens when the Lakers are like we want Clay thirty million dollars? Do the Warriors say? Yeah, let's pay another dude thirty because when you do that, now you got to pay Draymond thirty, right? <laughs> the next year, so it's like, can they just have four dudes and one hundred twenty million on those four? I mean, it's, I think it's going to be a tough call, and they got to evaluate what they can do without. But if Clay wants to take less to kind of keep his situation, I know he loves it, especially playing next to guys that doesn't. That, that kind of take away the pressure from him. Clay's the first dude out of the locker room. He's ready to get dressed and bounce. Right? Like he's not messing around. He don't want to do podium interviews. He don't want to be responsible for answering the question. You know how, like, when uh, something happens and outside of the locker room or a situation in the world, you got to, like, go to that. Well, let's see what so-and-so says about this. So usually we go to Steph Curry, right? Like, Clay don't want to be that dude at all. And – <laughs> being around Steph and KD and Draymond, who's so loquacious anyway, like it allows him to, you know, make his money, play hoop, and dip out. I I wonder if he's going to take less money so he can keep that situation because he's still going to get a shot. Like, man, I want to keep that situation. But, you know, if Milwaukee come throwing the bank at him and the Warriors is like, man, we 25 is the most we can do. But then he I can't. think he's the first flight risk because of that. Right. And, 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 but, you know, you've seen this before. If he goes to Milwaukee, whatever, he got to be that guy. He's got to answer the no, questions. Not, he's got to be not in no, Milwaukee. You can't be a jerk anywhere. If, if, if you're the guy, you got to answer the questions, right? You got to. Switching gears back to your book, what I loved in the last chapter was the way in which you descriptively painted the picture of the Warriors' epic collapse in Game 7 of last year's finals. Why did you decide to end the book that way? Because that's where the story ended, right? When I was done, that's where the, that's where we were. We were at. They just got Durant, but for especially for Curry, that's where the story stopped and needed to continue. Uh, and that's that was the difficulty of writing a book about a guy who's still playing, is that you got to kind of figure out where to put the pen, uh, and and that's that's where it was at the time. So it was it was kind of easy that way because I really had nothing else. Like, basically, all his life, all my life, I had to fight, right? That's Steph. <laughs> like, he's been doing this every stage, and here he is right back again with two MVPs having improved himself. And that, and, and the reason is because they collapsed in, in Game 7. So you talk about, you know, you wrote the book in the middle of his career. So how did Steph feel about you writing the book in, to begin with? Uh, he didn't want me to write it. Mm-hmm. 
he he why, said he wanted to that? do a book at the end of at the end of his career. And I was like, all right, good. You could do a book at the end of your career. You <laughs> I'm doing this one now. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, I, I th- I, the funny part was, I think, uh, you know, he was always like, you know, you should do what's best for you and your family. Like, it's a great opportunity. But my preference is that I, there's not a book on me out there. So he was never like, don't write the book. But, you know, just like some of his, you know, his people around him and his camp were under the impression that I somehow needed his approval. I was like, I don't, you guys don't understand how this works. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm not asking you for permission. I'm, I'm doing Somebody it. Somebody paying me to write this book. I'm doing it. <laughs> Marcus, this is Donovan from A&T. Again. <laughs> um, you've covered the Warriors for 10 seasons. So you've seen them from being one of the trash teams in the league to trash. Just, yes. Like trash. trash. Very trash. bad. Trash. In the Monte trash. Ellis years, very bad. <laughs> But now they're one of the most prominent teams in the league and the best team in the league. Is this book not only about Steph, but also like a, a homage to the Warriors team in general? Man, how do you know that? Like, you must have went to school in the AUC. <laughs> no, he went to, a- he, he went to A&T, man. He's just an exceptional. He's just an exceptional. Oh, oh, y'all got that in there? Oh, okay. Y'all still got those, like, cheerleaders who actually step. They own cheer. They just get yeah. out there and step. They have to be, yeah. Wow. That was one of the highlights of basketball games. Oh, we oh no A&T? doubt. Let's go oh, no doubt. No doubt about it. <laughs> I got a little, so, uh, coming, from, coming from Morgan, I got a little different narrative of yeah. A&T. But that's another, that's another show. He's just a hater. He's a hater. But it's okay. <laughs> you know, uh, that one of, the, one of, like, my proudest moments is that, like, I was the one to do that, to kind of pay homage to – the Bay and to like the history of this stuff, because the reality is the Warriors were so bad that nobody would ever want to read a book about anything about them. Uh, And to, to be the one like to write the book about the first, like real prominent thing about the Warriors, like while everybody cares about them for me, that, that, that meant a lot. I grew up watching Warriors games with my dad. It was something my dad and I bonded over. Uh, and basketball, you know, is, is so much a part of the inner city story, especially in Oakland. So it, it, there was some of that, and that's why my uh, the like the preface was was about like what this means for the Bay because it, it it like we needed something to make this official. So in 30 years, when we talk about this, we don't sound like you know we lying talking about we you know walked five miles in the snow with no shoes on, right? Like we. We need actual documentation that this actually happened. And so I was very honored that I was the one to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you brought up watching Warriors games. Where are you actually from? I'm from Oakland. Oh, oh okay. Oh, oh, okay. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> how'd you yeah, get to Clark? Oakland. Yeah. How'd you, how'd you, how'd you get to Clark from Oakland? So I'm, 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 this is 100. Uh, I was supposed to go to USC and – I had this, like, one of these, like, you know, minority college people who working with you to get you in. Uh, they was like, yeah, so we got 15000 for you, but tuition was, like, twenty seven, And so I, uh, I was like, all right, Dad, I just need 12000 <laughs> <Yeah, right. laughs> <laughs> He straight gave me $80 and was like, I could. <laughs> so I went to Clark Atlanta because it was the furthest thing from Oakland. Of, of all the colleges that I got accepted to, I went to the one that was the furthest. 
because I wanted to make sure I had to, like, I was getting this done regardless because I was just tired of, like, living in the life I led. Like, I had been waiting for so long to go to college because when you're coming up, people are like, college is the way, right? You need to go to college, go to college. So in my mind, college was always my way out. So, and then when I didn't get to go to college I wanted to, I was like, see, this is how I go. And something's going to, you know, whatever's going to be money or whatever. If I stay too close, I'm going to end up catching Greyhound and coming back <laughs> and trying to talk about, oh, I'm going to go back next semester and next thing I don't go. So I went to Atlanta because I looked on a map. It was like, I can't even walk back. Like, <laughs> I, I, I got to make it work. So that's why I went. And to be honest, I really didn't even know what a black college was until I got there. <laughs> we ain't know nothing about that. I was like, oh, I had a friend in the neighborhood who went to Clark Atlanta, and I remember they came to my school, and I asked her. She was like, yeah, it's fun. You should come. So I was like, all right. And then I went out there, and I was like, oh, this is what it is. And then I was like, this just reminds me of school days. <laughs> I, didn't even know, I didn't even know it was feeling. I was so Oakland. It was it was a good experience. It was a uh, you know, you got to – what I appreciate about a black, about HBCUs in general is you, you earn what you get. You know, you ain't – if you graduate from HBCU, nobody handed you anything. You had to go take it <laughs> from registration <laughs> on down, right? <laughs> that registration line would have almost made me walk home. But, I was just, like, you walk out of there, like, all right, I did that, you know, like, I pulled myself up by my bootstrap. That that's what I appreciate about it because when you get out to the world it's like, man, I just kinda I just had to grind my way through college so <laughs> I can handle anything. So that's what that's what I really appreciated about it. Well, Marcus, this is uh this is Simone from Morgan State. Um so just kinda switching gears back to Golden State. Um, do you think that Golden State needed K D more than K D needed the team? I'm going to say they needed each other equally, but I don't want that to be construed as they wouldn't have won a championship without them. I just think the league was figuring them out, and even if they they might have won this year, but next year they would have been figured out. And I know the Warriors' design is to be like the Spurs. They don't want to do a three-, four-year window. They want you to look up, and in 20 years, this is a thing, right? Kind of like how the Spurs did it. Uh, so they needed to do something to prevent the league from catching up. And that answer was KD, but also I think KD needed, he needed to learn how to win in the NBA and he needed to be around players who were, who are good enough to hold him accountable. And that's one of the things people miss about Oklahoma city, Kevin Durant's from DC, you know, he's a DMV boy. So he already has, like the big city feel, and he's a Nike like mogul, right? He's he's huge. He's got like empire. So there's nothing really small time about KD except for his spirit, you know, and his down to earthness is very, you know, very like Midwestern home homely like that kind of feel. But really, like, ain't nobody holding Kevin Durant accountable. <laughs> I watched it live. They were up 3-1 in game six. They switched. They they took Harrison Barnes out of the starting lineup and put Iguodala in at halftime because KD had taken 19 shots. And they were like, all right, Iguodala, you're going to go in there. You just guard Durant and let him get what he wants because all he's going to do is take ill-advised jumpers, and we can live with that. 
and they ended up winning the game because the last, the last three games, that's what they did. But nobody is saying, Kevin Durant, that's a terrible shot. Do not take it. Be smarter. And I think he saw that the Warriors, like, they, their bent is playing smart. That's why he keeps saying play the game the right way. That's what he's talking about because he's playing in Oklahoma City, and they didn't have the money to keep all his guys with him. So now he's got to cut. He's got to, like, pass. And that, that guy cutting is, is Andre Roberson. And it's like, that really? <laughs> so I want to play the right way, but I can't because it's, it's all on me. So I think that was one of the elements he, that, like, he needed somebody to say, I'm going to lift your game up. And you got Steph, you got Draymond was screaming at this dude, like, three, two weeks in. <laughs> like, Draymond don't care, man. He's like – this is the right way. Let me show you. And then you're going to try it. And if you don't try it, I'm going to be screaming at you until you try it. And then when you try it, it's going to work. And then you'll understand what I'm saying. And the the worst part about Draymond, they all say it, is that 99% of the time he's right. So if he's screaming at you, you want to come back at him, but you know he's probably right. (laughs) So you kind of got to suck it up. He needed somebody to do that for him. He needed a coach to sit him down and be like, Look, I know how you did things in OKC, but that's not how you're going to do it here. Let's do this and watch what happens. And he, he bought in to his credit. He humbled himself and folded right in, and now look at him. So now he's like, see, this is what I was talking about, man. I've been eating uh, Rich Crackers all this time. I ain't even know they had some gluten-free organic joints out there. So, Marcus, I have one last question for you. So has Katie surpassed LeBron? Heck no. And what? <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, Finally. Yeah, just, just, just asking. Just wondering. Look, look. The, the LeBron okay. thing right. needs to stop. I mean, I mean, what more can, can you do than come back from 3-1? <laughs> I mean, I don't know what else he needs to do. So, I also think, like, like part of the, part of the discussion around basketball uh, it, it, like it has gotten more advanced over the years, uh, you know. Like there was a time where, man, if you put up twenty five, like you were good, and nobody talked about, man, you needed twenty five shots to do it, right? And now we've gotten to a point where we kind of can tell, like efficiency matters, and we we need to just keep progressing to this point where we can start saying, well, just because somebody is a good matchup doesn't mean they're better, but sometimes you like one person. It's just a difficult matchup for you. Like, I don't care how you cut it. Kyrie is the best, like, best in the league at getting to the rim and creating a shot. Steph Curry cannot guard him. That's just the way it is. Steph Curry, if you put Steph Curry in front of him, the likelihood is Kyrie's going to get to the basket on him. But that doesn't mean Kyrie is better than Steph. It just means that's a bad matchup. So I I do think Durant is a bad matchup for Kevin Durant. He's long. He can contest the shot, which means he can play off some and still get a hand up in his face. And he's long, so even if LeBron gets by him, he's got to really beat him because those arms is always behind him. That doesn't make him better. It just means this particular matchup is one that uh, gives LeBron problems. But until KD wins a few championships, you know, it starts – doing the kind of like putting whole teams on his back. I mean, LeBron took Booby Gibson, Sasha Pavlovich, Zdrunas Ilgauskas with like, he had the feet from misery. Like, <laughs> and like he took him to the championship. 
like that's crazy. I don't think the KD's got to do stuff like that in order for in order for him to be even on that level. That's in me, in my book. He, I think he's an elite. He's probably the best natural scorer we've ever seen, and he's better at defense than we all thought. But he's still got a ways to go in my book to get to LeBron level. Hey, Marcus, I know you got to go and witness his route, but uh, I just want to first, first of all, man, thank you so much for uh, all the Roden fellows, but also for me, man. I uh, really appreciate you, appreciate uh, the stuff you've done over the years. You've written uh, just an exceptional book. The timing is great. I hope you get uh, all the accolades you uh, you deserve because uh, I just want the money, you know. Just, <laughs> just want all the money. <laughs> hope you get that too, man. <laughs> hey, hey our, our guest has been Marcus Thompson the second. He's a columnist for the Mercury News and the Bay Area News Group, living in beautiful Northern California, and he's also a uh, proud uh, alumna of uh, Clark. Hey, man, Marcus, thank you so much, man. Thank you. Hey, hey take take care, Mark. Thanks for listening to HBCU 468. This show is produced by Aaron Mathewson. Tony Chow and Jorge Estrada are in the control room. Special thanks to David Cummings. Get all of the HBCU 468 podcasts, as well as All Day, What Are Those, and Morning Roast by subscribing to The Undefeated on the Listen tab of the ESPN app. Join us next week for another HBCU podcast, and don't forget to make The Undefeated your go-to site for a soulful look at sports and entertainment. Have a great week, everyone.